0: We're all good this morning, eh? We are, aren't we? That's good. The English language can be challenging when we attempt to describe an action or, or name an object, can't it? Some words we know are very clear in what they're describing. For example, if we, if we use the word wheelbarrow, we know that a wheelbarrow is a wheelbarrow it is not a licorice all sort, and it is not a butterfly. Some words are easy, but some words can be ambiguous or confusing or, or limited in, in how we get to express them. Like the word love, for example. I mean, I love a cup of coffee. I love my family. Weird lot, a eh? weird lot. And I love my fishing. <laughs> so we can use the word love to express how we feel about all number of things. Um, it could be when you buy a pair of shoes, it's you love your pair of shoes. When you buy a power tool from MITE 10, you just love that new power tool. And we can use the same word to describe, of course, how we feel about a, a long term relationship or not. Like the old couple that had been married for sixty-five years, over ninety they were, and uh, they were getting on, of course. And the old man had got a bit cantankerous, as old men do sometimes, apparently. And and anyway, he he died, and he as he went to heaven and met met Peter at the pearly gates, and uh, goes, to, you know, asked to go in, and Peter says, well, in order for you to come in here. You have to spell the most powerful word in the universe. And the, guy, the old man says, well, what's that? He says, love. And I said, well, that's easy, L-O-V-E. And Peter says, well, come in, opens the gate, and away he goes. Then he says to him, listen, I've got some errands to do. I would like you just to look after the gate for a while, and if anybody comes, just ask them to spell the most powerful word in the universe. And Peter says, yeah, I can do that. So he does that. And then a few minutes later, his, his wife turns up at the gate. And she says, Fancy, you coming so quickly. She says, oh, look, dear, I just couldn't live without you. And she said, can I come in? And we said, what are you doing here? He said, well, Pete's on an errand and just asked me to look after the gate. And, and um, she said, well, can I come in? She, you have to spell the most powerful word in the universe. And she said, well, that's easy. What is that? And he says, Czechoslovakia. <laughs> we're going to um we're going to dig into some verses in First Corinthians that talk about love. and verses that we probably are familiar with, we've heard before, uh, maybe if not at church, we've certainly heard them at a wedding because if the Bible is ever read at a wedding, generally it's these verses that are read. and sometimes if the Bible is not referenced, it's not quoted, the verses can still be. Quoted and read because they are a a beautiful piece of prose. But when the Apostle Paul wrote these words, they were never meant to be read at a wedding. That was not the intention. They were written to a, a group or a, a small church in the Greek city of Corinth. Now, a bit of a bit of background with Corinth and with Greece. The Greeks were a very very advanced culture. I mean, they had Everything. They had architecture. We've seen pictures of the Parthenon, you know, those beautifully um, positioned columns and the way that that's been put together and other temples as well. They had mathematicians, Archimedes and Pythagoras. We've learned that from school. Philosophers, Socrates, Pluto, you know, and Aristotle. They had They had it all. They had theatre. And, of course, they had... The Olympics, because we, we might have appreciated the Olympics a few months ago, but they had their origin in Greece. And they had music. They had Keith Richards. He looks, he looks like he's walked right out of ancient Greece, doesn't he? <laughs> so they, the Greeks had everything. In fact, it's been said that if the Greeks ever needed something, they just invented it. So the Greeks lacked nothing except hope. Hope's a bit of a theme this morning, isn't it? From Darwin to, to a new baby that's born. But the Greeks lacked hope. Elsewhere in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes to another church, and in reflecting on the Greeks, he says, they were without God and without hope. Sounds a bit like another culture that we know, doesn't it? But we know very well. See, we live in a world that's jam-packed full of just about everything that we need. But if you scratch below the surface, we're devoid of hope. Sure, we can be optimistic about tomorrow. We can dream for the future. We We can have some wishful thinking about the days ahead. But we are bereft of hope. And now you add in a pandemic... And hope becomes a little bit like a $20 note that you drop on the pavement on a windy day in Wellington. And you just go down to grab it. But before you can grab it, the, the hope is always just blown out of your grasp. They did a, um, an article on some of the communities in Auckland just recently. You may have seen it on TV. But they were, when they interviewed them, they said what they really lack at the moment is hope. We've all heard the saying, haven't we? You can live what forty days without food, four days without water, four minutes without air, but only four seconds without hope. So the more we squeeze God out of our culture, out of our out of our world view, if you like, the more we, that mankind, that humanity, that we become disconnected with our meaning, from our meaning and our purpose, from our origin and our destiny, from our hope for the now and our hope for the future. And if we, when God is removed, we, we kind of abandon our real place in this universe and in God's story. Without God, without hope. And the problem is, is that when you remove hope, there is a void, there's a vacuum, and it's replaced with fear. Isn't that right? We've seen that, haven't we? On an individual level, people are fearful. Hope is gone. Fear replaces hope. We see it on an international level. We see it with uh, the, the kind of emotive dialogue that's... In the media, whether it's about Iran's attitude to to Israel and what they're going to do with any nuclear warfare or whatever, we see it with North Korea and what they're doing with new missiles. We see it with, with China and their influence in the Pacific. We see it with COVID, of course. And we see it with climate change, don't we? The dialogue is laced with fear. Why? Because we've lost hope. Our society, our lawmakers and our academics and the social commentators, the professors, the the bloggers, the influencers, if you like, can, can refuse to believe in God and discard or abandon our place in God's story. But folks, we don't have to listen. We don't have to listen because we know we know that in spite of the fact we live in a world that's broken distorted damaged and dysfunctional or whatever you call it that we have we have we know that we know that we know we've got hope we know that god the story's not finished aren't we we know that we know that god is still turning the pages of his story and one day he will make all things new he won't make he won't make all he won't make th- he won't make things that are what am I saying? He won't make all new things. He will make all things new. Maybe this morning you've listened, if you like, to the voices of our culture, and they are they're loud and compelling, and laced with fear. Maybe you've listened to the voices, and you you're lacking hope, or fear has kind of driven you a little bit. I want to tell you that there is another sound. There is another voice from the, from the God of this universe, the one who is the, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who put it all together and who will be there at the end. And he spoke some words two and a half thousand years ago to a group of people, a little bit like us in some ways, words that are just so relevant today. And he said, I know the plans I have for you plans to to for good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope isn't that right yeah. and there's two words in there I just want to unwrap for for a minute the first word is the word no we think that no has to do with information it doesn't in the Old Testament it comes from a Greek word a Hebrew word yada and those of you who have read older versions, like the King James versions of the Bible, will remember when they were used the word new. For example, Adam knew Eve and Eve conceived. New has to do with intimacy. So when God says, I know the plans I have for you, it's rooted in that same word. It's just not knowledge. It's just not information. It's fact, I am there with you. I am part of what is going to be happening in the future. I am it. It's me. The second word is hope, and we think hope is just changed circumstances. It's a, it's you know another situation that's going to be different and better. It's not. Hope is tied up in a person. Verse in Second Peter, I think it is. First Peter says this. What a wonderful God we have, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We've just been through and expressed communion, taking communion together, and that's an expression of the commencement when new life begins, when, when God puts into place the making of all things new. The Christian hope. The Christian hope really is, when you look at, the, at what Jesus has done, the Christian hope is, is quite simple. We look back at the resurrection of Jesus in order to look forward. And that is our hope. Right. Right. Here we go. Back to the Greeks. <laughs> or, the, or the city of Corinth. Oh, that was that was losing a lot of time, wasn't it? All right, back to the Greeks, <laughs> back to Corinth. Corinth was a, a bustling commercial um, city of about 80,000 people. Uh, based, it was on an, is, an isthmus, is that what you call it? Is that right? Someone help me. Thank you. And it, so they had... Um, there were seas on three sides. It was a it was a debauched, immoral place. The uh, temple of the goddess Aphrodite was in Corinth, and some historians say there were up to three thousand, up to a thousand prostitutes who served the goddess, in uh, in bringing converts to her religion. Okay, and it was. It, the, the city of Corinth had a, a very derogatory reputation in the in the world at that time. If you were a Corinthian, you were, you were either a a drunkard or a prostitute. So to be a Corinthian was not a good thing. And so there the, the, here's this church that Paul had started a few years earlier, and the problem is is that the debauched the Kind of immoral nature of the city had seeped into the church and it was not in a good place. Men in the church were taking each other to court. There was one man we read who was sleeping with his mother in law and it was a messed up place. There was the haves and the haves nots. The, the, um, the wealthy people would come in earlier and they would scoff into the communion because communion was more than just bread, it was a meal. They'd scoff into communion and the wine, they'd get drunk, and then there'd be nothing left for the poorer folk who came in. And when someone in in the meeting spoke in tongues, uh, there was was a lot of gabbling and and no one could really understand. There was no interpretation for what was being said. When someone gave a prophecy, others would jump up and say, hey, what about me? Oh, I've got something better to say than that. And, um, you know, the the church had really just... um, Fallen right away from the teachings of Jesus and how Paul uh, initiated the church when he commenced it a few years earlier. So it's into this situation that Paul is writing these words. And if we could, um, could have them up, Hunter. All right, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love does not delight in wrongdoing, but celebrates when truth wins out. When I dug into that, it really spoke to me. eh? Love is always supportive, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never Gives up. I don't know how much time we'll get to cover I mean, those this morning, but we'll give it a good whirl. This is what we call agape love. This is unconditional, extravagant love, sacrificial love. The natural tendency um, for us or for those who, um, without Christ, those who do not follow Jesus, of course, is for me to be the centre. I'm the focus of this world, and if, I, if and when I do love, I'm going to expect something in return. But the way of Jesus is totally different. It's from the inner life source, where when we give and when we love, there is no expectation at all of, being, of ever receiving anything in return. And that's a pattern that was set by Jesus himself when he said, or When Paul said, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Loved me and gave. The two words are together. Our culture says, hey, focus here. Focus here and you'll discover who you really are. And we see that, don't we? I mean, you, you've got a, there's plenty of books out there that talk about us focusing here. Or if you watch some of the TEDx stuff on, on YouTube, you focus here, and you'll discover who you really are. But the way of Jesus, and what the apostle Paul is saying, is that you discover who you really are when you love, and when you give, and when your focus is elsewhere. And when we love, and when we give in a sacrificial way that's extravagant, without any expectation of return, we not only become more Christ-like, but actually we come, we come. Uh, we become truly human as well. So the first one is love is patient, and this is a challenge for all of us, I guess, on a on a number of levels. Um, it's a challenge for our time and our agenda. What are some of the things that can test our patience? Anybody? What can what can test our? What can really? <sighs> Bad driving oh, Thanks for sharing that, Ron. you're a good man. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, you've seen people wave their fist at you too, haven't you? <laughs> what, else, what else can test our patience? Sorry? Late dinner? Oh, I'd be careful. Don't, don't it? I heard some guys agreeing with that, don't you? Know? <laughs> what else can test our patience? When, when things go wrong? Yeah, when things go wrong, yeah, it can test our patience. Pardon? Kids can test our patience. Anything that threatens to control our timeline or our agenda tests our patience. Because we don't like our timeline or our agenda being imposed upon, do we? Slow driver on the motorway. I remember following the slow driver once on the motorway down here past Silverstream and shaking my head and i drive past past the person. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I wasn't going to mention it, Kerry, but now that you've... Whoopsie. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, slow drivers, but what about, here's a clip here, what about, a, what about a, a person who is slow on the pedestrian crossing, have you ever had that, you know, and you're waiting there and you're just real slow, thanks Hunter, it'll get there. So, suppose we've just given Jenny Paulson an idea there. <laughs> <laughs> Impatience is when someone else or something we can't control is imposing on our timeline or our agenda, and that can happen anywhere, can't it? You know, I said it might attend a few weeks ago. And this is a slight exaggeration, but, but the person was at the counter in front of me and he was counting out, he wanted 85 screws. Didn't want to buy the box of 100, he wanted to buy 85 and so he's counting 56, 57, 58. I said, could I help you soon? And he says, now you've made me lose my place. <laughs> One, two, three. <laughs> but impatience. And some people can, we, we find times when there's people are inconsiderate, they can be rude, but it doesn't give us the opportunity to be likewise. We need to be patient. No excuse for me to be rude or to be impatient. Patience is relinquishing forgoing your timeline or your agenda for the sake of another. Or maybe... Can happen in close friendships, can't it? When you <coughs> excuse me, you are with someone and you know you've been with them a long time and maybe there's some there's some stuff in their life that you know that both of you know needs to change, you know, and you just gotta be patient and you're trying to work in with each other and just it doesn't happen, you know, like sometimes guys will just leave clothes on the floor, you know? <laughs> And is there any wives here who have a problem with husbands leaving clothes on the floor? Yeah? Well, there you go. Just be patient. Because one day he'll be old and you can dress and undress him and you can do what you like with the clothes. But we... Impatience can lead to frustration. You know, there's often I found that there's often a backstory. When you're impatient with some we had someone at work, who wasn't performing the way he should perform, he was not turning up on time, and you know the guys were getting he just he was on the phone during the day, he was doing stuff or not doing stuff, and guys were getting impatient until they found out that he was going through a very messy separation that affected custody of the kids and that sort of stuff and it's often if we find out the backstory when we are frustrated and impatient we find out what's occurring behind the scenes often we learn to that that love is patience all right so Paul here is addressing the impatience at Corinth, and the people coming to church and scoffing their communion and none left for others and not preferring each other and willingness to give time. And people weren't welcoming, they weren't hospitable. So patience means that it's not about me. It's not about my agenda. Love dissolves in patience. Love is patience. And of course, love is kind. All right. You know, the natural response is that we benefit from those that we meet. Isn't that right? You know, that's, that's how we, that's how, kind of how we operate. When someone comes into our office and they want a house built for them, my response is that oh, I'm going to benefit from this. If you're in sales, you benefit from what you're going to sell to someone. Or if you go to a cafe or a restaurant, you benefit from the good service and the good food that someone's going to dish up to you. So, our natural response is that we benefit when we engage with anybody. That's kind of how we live. But being kind means that when we engage with others, it is for their benefit, whatever the situation, it's for the good of the other person. It's being kind, it's not about us. It's about being kind. It's not just being kind in our mind, it's being kind in our deed and our behaviour. Love cares. Love really cares for others more than we care for ourselves. Kind is connected to a word that means sweetness or pleasantness. In other words, something about you when people come into your presence. When people enter your space, what do they feel? Do they feel Hostility or animosity, or the fact that you don't care or you haven't got time for them, but is there kindness and sweetness and pleasantness that actually embraces people when they're in your space? They're welcomed, there's a sense of appreciation. Apparently, there's been a recently been a team of five million, right, that have been kind to each other, right? Isn't it a shame that we need a a health emergency to have a team of five billion of a kind. It should be the way that we live all the time. Here's a good principle. Always leave someone knowing that they are be, that they are better off for having spent time with you. When you've engaged with someone, you're you're in, in some kind of relationship, no matter how long that period of time is. Always leave them with the knowledge that they are leaving all the better for having spent time with you. So Paul is saying, treat each other with kindness. I'm not sure if I'll. Um, we how are we placed. Should I do a couple more? How are you how are you feeling? Can we do a couple more? Are you, you're, you're awake? You're you're okay? Yep, cool. Sometimes it's best to is that you, dear? <laughs> All right. Sometimes you can best describe what something is by saying what it isn't. All right? You best describe what something is by defining what, it, what it's not. Paul here moves from saying love is kind. This is kind of like a, a bookend to the start of these 16 principles. Love is kind, love is patient, kind. That's kind of the bookend to the start. And then he's saying love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. Have you ever talked with someone who has something real good going on in their life? I mean, something awesome has happened to them. And you have just felt a hint of jealousy. Ever? Yeah? You're right. That's an honest question, eh? Someone that you that you know well or and they've hey t- just you i just one, you know, fantastics happened, you know, and 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 you've just felt that hint of jealousy. love is not jealous. And we feel that way often because that's not where your life is at. Love is genuinely expressing joy in the good fortune of another person. Okay? To be jealous of another person is just highlighting what is lacking in your world. In other words, you want what they have. So love is the capacity to experience joy in the good of another person, even if it isn't being experienced in my life. You got that? Love is the capacity to experience joy in the good of another person, even if it's not being experienced in my life. Love does not boast, right? doesn't annoy you when people just want to talk about themselves, you know, what what they've done. I mean, they want to talk about their two-month-long holiday in Europe when you've just had one week in Iketahuna, you know. <laughs> And all they want to—not only do they want to talk about themselves, but they don't want to hear about what you've been doing. Doesn't that annoy you? And people can boast not just about what they've done, but that can be on a number of levels. People—we boast about small things, technology, what my phone does, what yours doesn't do. You know, the latest TV we've got. We can boast about all number of things. We can boast even about our busyness. (laughs) Wow, you know. Flat out at work, had to go to Auckland on Tuesday, and then down to Needham on Friday in you know, a lifesaver, and we boast about that. Crazy, eh? How dumb is that? We, I mean, even when you are young mums, I mean, perhaps dads as well. I won't get myself in too much trouble. Um, but there's a competitiveness about when babies walk. Isn't that? Oh, young oh, Harry, he was walking at thirteen months. It's okay. Alice was; she took her first steps at eight months. You know. Well, oh, young Johnny, he walked right out of the room. You know. <laughs> so I mean, so I mean, we are we, competitive. We we boast about don't don't we? Isn't that right? And and when he gets older, we boast about. I'm a, I'm of the vintage. Vintage is not the right word, but I'm at the age I'm at the age where, where when we were at school, it was, yeah, there was there were some professional classes and there were some mechanical classes, you know. And the professional, the three Ps and the five Ps, or whatever, went to university. I just had a trade. In fact, I didn't even do a trade. I just started working for my father, and that was it. But there was a kind of. There was there was a boasting about if you by parents anyway if you went to university or if your child didn't go and they just picked up a trade you know that be, that's possibly not so much now but it was then in fact when Viv and I were dating um, her mother didn't think I was good enough for her you know, and, you know some of you are thinking <laughs> some of you are thinking yep I can see that. <laughs> But, but, I mean, I was, I was a builder, and the other two daughters had married, you know, university graduates. One of them had two degrees. And so I was, we had a picking order, and I was right down below, you know. And until her mum and dad realised that I could do things around the house, like, they were <laughs> photographers. They were photographers, and I could build a darkroom, you know. I could fix in a carport and that sort of stuff. So I went up the picking order. So now, so now we're great. I've got a soft spot for my mother-in-law. It's the swamp at the end of the garden. <laughs> How did we get to that? How do we get to that? All right, I started posting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I told you that those principles really spoke to me, Bruce. I told you that. Arrogant. Love is not arrogant. It's not proud. And prou- it means puffed up like a balloon. You know, um, self inflated, not building myself up, humble. Love is not proud. Okay? Love is not rude. Rude is essentially the behavioural outcome of boasting and arrogance. In the Greek, the word means does not act inappropriately. Rudeness, have you noticed that rudeness is more acceptable in today's culture? Have you noticed that behaviour and language that was unthinkable a generation ago is more commonplace now? What are some examples of rudeness? I mean, I'd, you look like a good bunch of people to ask that question off, so what are some good examples of rudeness? Pardon? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay. Sorry, over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this could this could be a good time to have a final song. I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um Cutting in on line with somebody, isn't it? Yeah, jumping the queue is rude, you know. But yeah, there's many examples of being rude, yeah. Rudeness is rooted in arrogance and selfishness. It shows a lack of consideration for others. Rudeness creates friction in all human relationships. But love reduces the friction. Another version has love does not have bad manners. You may have, I think, might be the King James. Love does not have bad manners, and that by bad manners it doesn't mean social graces or or etiquette. You know how you hold your knife and fork. But so I know, I knew a, a real toffee businessman years ago, and he was kind of had so many social graces they were filling the boot of his fancy Rover car, but. But he was rude and he he was impatient. He wasn't a pleasant gentleman. But he kind of lived well on the outside, but underneath he wasn't that pleasant. My dad wasn't over-endowed with social graces. He wasn't. And etiquette, you know. But he loved people. I mean, my dad probably thought that etiquette was a game you played on the front lawn. But... <laughs> But he was committed to people. And some of you are here this morning because dad loved you, you know. Love is not rude. And even though we can be a little bit rough around the edges, love will cover that when it's committed to the life and the goodness of another person. The more I love and the love I'm giving the more Christ-like I become and the more I become truly human. Just a verse in closing from Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Be imitators of God. In other words, do what God does. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us And gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Love. When I was, you know, often when other people who who speak on a Sunday morning would feel the same, I I think. Often when I'm preparing a message, I think, wow, this, this could be really good for the people. Or you could go to the extreme of saying, wow, those thoughts there could be really good for so-and-so to hear. I hope they're there this morning. But, you know, when I was preparing this and when we unwrap some of the other principles later on in the next few weeks or months or whatever, when I was preparing this, I was thinking, wow, you know, this is really good for me. I need to hear this. (laughs) And I'm thinking, hey, you, you should be speaking to me, Trevor not." them, you know, and there's some stuff in there later which really spoke to me, and what I did as an exercise and I'd like to finish on this, is I actually put my name in the place of love and I went, Trevor Salisbury is patient, Trevor is kind, Trevor does not envy or boast, Trevor is not arrogant or rude Trevor does not insist on his own way Trevor is not irritable ooh, heck, or resentful Trevor does not delight in wrongdoing, but he celebrates when truth wins out. Trevor is always supportive. He believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Trevor never gives up. Just before we sing and before we stand in prayer, I'd like you to, well, maybe stand. Could we stand now? And I'd like you just to, just to consider that for a moment. Think about those words, and we'll do it again next time we speak, but put your name in the place. Of love, just say it to yourselves, all right? Father, we thank you that you you loved and you gave. You give us the goodness of life, the goodness of being in your presence, and the goodness of hope. We thank you so much for what you've done, and we we just worship you, and we thank you, Lord, for. For We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for what that means for us, for the now and for the future. And Lord, we ask that you would just enable these words to ring true in our hearts and in our lives, that indeed we would learn to love like you loved, and that our families and our world, our community, the place in which you've put us, would be benefited because of our presence and our understanding of you working in our life in this way. Thank you in Jesus' name. Bless you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.